welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to the latest um, episode of Inspiring Futures. Uh, today, my guest live from Tribeca, New York, um, is Lindsay Stein, who is um, the new Chief of Social Impact at Havasu, New York. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Um, so thanks for thanks for making it on. And um, we just talked a little earlier. You said you, you're sort of three weeks into the job. So it's really... Uh, Early days, right? Really early days, really uh, getting to know the lay of the land. Um, Havas is, uh, you know, it's a really large agency. So um, just even getting to know the office space has been <laughs> interesting because it's a bunch of floors. It's like eight floors in Tribeca. Um, but yeah, it's uh, been a great three weeks so far. Cool. So what's your, take us through a little bit of your background. Uh, what, 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 how did you start your career? What, what did you, where, where did you start? <laughs> Oh man, um, this question's so funny. Um, how did I start my career? So I graduated from journalism school. Um, I went to Syracuse. Um, so I was in Newhouse. And then at that time, I I was and still am a big sports fan. So I really wanted to cover sports. Um, I think like the whole, I maybe had the whole Aaron Andrews kind of like thing going on. I was like, oh, I want to cover that. I wound up covering local sports in New Jersey, but for high schools and middle schools, um, for a startup, it was a really interesting experience. Uh, it was really fun and scrappy. Um, so I did that. And then I wound up getting a job at PR Week. Um, so PR Week is um, owned by Haymarket. Uh, it's a whole, it's a company that owns a bunch of publications as well as Campaign, which I actually wound up going to later. But I was at PR Week for five years covering um, marketing. I covered the CMO section as well. So that was really exciting because I got to cover kind of sports a little bit. I've interviewed, you know, like the CMO of the NFL and CMO of the NHL. Um, so got like the little sports fix, but also got really, really um, in-depth in marketing and comms. So that was exciting. And then from there, went to AdAge and covered creativity and media, um, specifically the agency side. So that was really exciting times. There was a lot going on with media and media transparency issues. And then um, from there, went on to campaign and became the editor in the U.S. Because um, Campaign Magazine is the largest magazine for creativity and advertising in the world, but um, not as big in the U.S. So my remit was to grow it in the U.S. and had a great time there. Um, launched things like the Female Frontier Awards, the Power Purpose Awards. Um, and then Jumped from there to Today I'm Brave, which is a nonprofit, um, which is focused on unlocking bravery in today's youth so they can overcome their biggest challenges um, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, health and wellness, and um, education. So it might seem like a kind of random jump, but the reason why I went to Today I'm Brave is because it was founded by David Angelo, and David Angelo is also the founder of David and Goliath. So I've known David for a long time. Um, he's a good friend um, and a mentor. And I had covered Today and Brave and the amazing work they were doing years before. Um, so I'd known the work they were doing. I, it was a lot around storytelling, um, brave stories, we called it. So it kind of was one of those things where it was the you know peak of the pandemic. Um, there was a lot of social unrest uh, in the world. And I just, a lot of fear and hatred. And I really just wanted to do more good. I know it sounds maybe cheesy. I wanted to do a little more purpose-driven work. So went and ran the nonprofit, learned the nonprofit space for a year, which is, um, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting space and it was a lot of learning. 
And I'm um, really proud of some of the work there. We um, launched our first Brave Camp where we brought um, 100 underserved youth to a camp in California and did this really amazing immersive experience for these children um, who are inner city kids. So that was great. And then from there, went to where I am now. And now I am the first chief of social impact at Havas, New York, working for Laura Manis, the CEO, who is really an incredible leader um, and someone I've admired for a really long time. So um, kind of is an amazing experience for me right now because it's bringing my passion around media and um you know all the pr like focus and advertising and all of that mixed in with my purposeful passion and then bringing that here to uh havas wow yeah, really really interesting really interesting journey um what do you think of syracuse as a, as a general <laughs> Um, so at the time we were really, really bad at football. Um, we were good at basketball, so that was exciting. And then, um, it was really cold. I am more of a summer girl. I feel like if uh, I could bring like Miami or LA weather to New York, that would be great, but I'm definitely also an East coast girl, but no, I, I loved Syracuse. I had a great time there. Um, and yeah, I haven't been back in a while, but yeah, it was, it's a really great school. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's a pretty good, strong advertising program there too, right? Yeah. Actually, it's funny. Um, Havas, New York's chief uh, creative officer, Dan Lucy, also went to Syracuse. So <laughs> first time we met in person, um, we wound up just talking about Syracuse for so long and like the bars there and like, you know, just fun experiences. And I worked at a hair salon on campus for four years. Um, so, yeah, it's like a, there are a lot of orange men and women in the ad world. <laughs> And when it when it comes to sports, did you did you care about the sport, or, or was it any sport that you liked, or were you particularly like into? Was it the NFL? Um, so definitely grew up in a basketball family. My brother also like played basketball his whole life. Um, and he played basketball in college, and then um, I played basketball, but not <laughs> I wasn't as good as he was, and I'm, I'm a little shorter. I also played volleyball. Uh, I really love all sports. I think the hardest one for me to cover um when I was covering youth sports like middle school and high school sports was wrestling um and I enjoyed watching it but covering it was a, a little more difficult for me um and I do enjoy going to baseball games sometimes but it's a little bit slower yeah. uh and um recently I've been getting more into soccer or you know football yeah. <laughs> so um that's uh, been exciting too so um so you made you made you made the leap into this sort of advertising world and um, how did you find, how did you find, I guess, you, would you start at a PR week? Was that the first marketing? Yeah, after, yeah, after um, the sports um, little stint, then I wound up going to PR week. Yeah. So how, how did you find covering uh, advertising at a time where advertising was really changing? I loved it so much. I mean, I covered advertising for about 11 years, um, like advertising marketing comms, I would say. Um, because it changes so much all the time. So it's really, really exciting. I also love the people, I, you know, there are such characters in this industry, whether it's the creatives or the CMOs or, um, you know, and then like the creative technologists, all of that, it's a uh, really interesting. Um, and the events were always really great. Um, I love, I'm a people person, so <laughs> COVID has been hard for me because I love being in real life with people and getting to know everyone and hearing their stories. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just love to see how it evolves. It keeps evolving, um, you know, so also covered a lot during the Me Too movement, which is a really interesting time. But that was when I was at Ad Age. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a journey. 
I mean, I, I, I obviously, I, I started my career in, in London and grew up with campaign. So um, I'm, I was pretty familiar and I was actually pretty shocked when I came to the US at how kind of, uh, uh, I don't know the best way to describe it in polite terms, but uh, how soft <laughs> US trade, they seem to be like um, kind of like PR um, vehicles versus, versus sort of truly getting to the interesting story. I always thought campaign, I know the Saatchi's always used to say, we don't care whether we have a good or bad piece of news. We've just got to be in campaign every week. And um, it was much more of a sort of like, I don't know, it seemed like, I guess the London community it was very connected. It was a little bit more gossipy, but it was always had, you know, the 2000, 3000 word article, like a deep exploration of something. Uh, that I missed when I came here, you know, I just didn't really see that it was, oh, we don't want to, you know, the, the, the response from journalists is, oh, we want to go deep on anything. It's either a hiring, a firing or a new business win. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I have so many stories about that. That whole like US, UK um, yeah. cultural differences with campaign uh, was great. And do you know Claire Beal? Uh, I don't know her well, but I know okay. who actually she is, yeah. Uh, Claire was the global editor when I was there of campaign. Yeah. She's uh, she's really awesome. <laughs> was a great leader. But um, for example, I'm sure you remember reading that's something called Turkey of the Week in campaign, right? So um, they've re- or even um, oh, there was another one, uh, Private View, was it called, uh, where you had two creatives um, critique yeah, yeah. A piece of work and tried to do that here, but all the creatives here in the states were just so nice to each other. <laughs> Whereas in London, Campaign UK, you know, the creatives there would really go at it. And uh, so it made it kind of a boring read in the US. So I wound up getting rid of that because it just didn't work out. And then Turkey of the Week, I was like, you know, that it's just too sensitive of a market here. It's not going to work out. But <laughs> it worked out in my benefit in certain ways, because when I launched the Female Frontier Awards, I got teased by, by UK colleagues because I was like, I want to have you know, a bunch of little surprise videos for the winners of like either friends and family or their children or colleagues telling them why they're their, you know, fearless, fearless female leader or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And they were like, oh, that's so cheesy. People are going to laugh. And I was like, I'm telling you, it's going to be a hit. And there was not a dry eye. Everyone, there was like crying. (laughs) People loved it. And they were like, oh, that wouldn't have worked here in London. But see, (laughs) The sensitivity. You got to know, know your market. That's the most <laughs> thing. So, um, so um, it's a big change to go from journalism to working for a non-for-profit. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> um, it was a big change for sure. Um, so, it required a lot of research and learning because there are just so many legal aspects of nonprofit world that I didn't, you know didn't realize going into it and the governance and um, all of that. So luckily I did have a team, um, you know, certain people in the team, the COO knew a lot of that. So it was like, kind of brought me along. We had um, legal counsel to help me learn some of that. The fundraising aspect is it's hard, you know, when you're an editor of a magazine, you are also worrying about keeping the lights on and, you know, being able to hire staff and having a travel budget and all of that. That's why the events like, you know, like female frontier awards are helpful because, you know, people, the ad world will pay for rewards, but it's different when you're asking for money for a nonprofit. You know, it's a, if you have a holding company wants to sponsor um, a power purpose awards, it's because their name is on it and they want to be the platinum sponsor because it makes them also look good. Right. Um, so 
the fundraising aspect was was interesting. I think I went into it a little naively being like, oh, this is not going to be that hard. Like we're going to, you know, do some social pushes and people are going to be as passionate about the cause as I am. So of course we're going to raise money. Um, we, we did actually tap into the ad world. And I don't know if you saw this, but um, David Angelo and I wound up going to basically a bunch of our advertising friends, like CEOs of all these agencies and saying, look, it's $1,500 to sponsor a child to go to this camp. Um, and that includes the entire week for them, their transportation, their food, all their experiences. And, you know, $1,500 to an agency isn't really that much money. Right. So, um, it kind of just kicked off with a few people, actually, Laura, ironically, <laughs> that day that we came up with that idea, I was on my way walking to meet Laura for a glass of wine and Nicole Purcell, the CEO of the Clio's. So the three of us were out and I was like, all right, ladies, what do you think of this idea? I'm thinking about going to the ad world and just like being like, these are our future you know, future creators, whether it's in advertising or in marketing or film or production, but like, shouldn't we support these uh, future um, creative leaders and give them an experience, a really immersive, amazing experience that they can't, you know, have otherwise. And Nicole and Laura immediately, Laura's like, yeah, uh, I'll do it. Like sponsor, sure, sure. Same thing with Nicole, she's like done. And then Tim Nudd at um, News by Clue actually broke the story for us. He wrote that story. Um, so yeah, we wound up getting over a hundred agencies and production companies, and we raised over $300,000 total. Um, cause you know, some agencies sponsored multiple children. Um, we also had some really generous foundations give money, but anyway, it was really amazing to see the ad world rally together around this and come together when, you know, it's such a competitive market, but when it's around children, um, especially underserved youth, uh, you know, they all kind of came together for a good cause. So I was really excited about that. So um, does, that, does that mean you were, you were living in California then? You moved to California? Oh, no, just uh, in New York, you know, remote living during a, <laughs> the pandemic. Plus, David, um, you know, was in L.A. for, I think, over 20 years, but moved back to New York um, in May. So okay. back in New York as well, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, so how did, this, how did this job come about? <laughs> oh, man. So, um, you know, Laura and I are, you know, also... Like, in, like friends and we like I mentioned we get glasses of wine and we were out again um, you know a couple months ago and just we're talking about Havas and all the amazing things that Havas is doing and Havas group globally's mission is to make a meaningful difference um, to brands and businesses and lives of people around the world so and Havas New York you know especially and if anyone knows Laura she is just such a force for good she's a warrior of light she's amazing um she's just one of those people who like you in any mood you can be in, you can talk to Laura and then you just feel so much better afterwards. <laughs> she just puts you in a really great um, mental state. And she's one of those leaders who you want to work for and you want to work with and collaborate with. So, you know, we were talking about what she's doing. Um, and as a teaser, there's something she's been working on for a really long time that we're going to announce in a few weeks. And we're very excited about it. And I'm so proud to be part of this company because of that, but that actually plays into the role. Um, and we were talking about just, you know, what else the agency can be doing and helping clients and talked about how, you know, it would be great to also maybe work together at some point. <laughs> just came, then this role kind of came together because I, I didn't want it to be a chief, you know, purpose officer title because I felt like that was too fluffy and Laura, you know, agreed with that totally. And, but it kind of hits on everything. It's sustainability. It's um, making change in all different areas of life and the world. So um, we landed on social impact because social impact is about proactively creating tangible, positive change 
that addresses a problem or challenge in society. And the goal for that change, whether large or small, is to help make the world a better place for individuals, organizations, and communities. So, um, you know, and that role right there is like, as an advertising agency and a really large one, we can make so much change with our clients and also internally. So that was uh, kind of the impetus for the role. Yeah, it's really, I, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating and really it's an exciting opportunity. I, I, I'm surprised how slow agencies have been. I mean, they sort of, um, I mean, obviously we talked about it earlier, but they, they, there is a lot of criticism right now at the ad industry for being slow movers, especially around the Black Lives Matter um, movement and really actually accelerating some meaningful change. Um, there's a lot of tokenism. There's a lot of check writing and not a lot of like uh, meaningful uh, long-term stuff. Ag agencies just, it just isn't sort of in their DNA. I don't think it hasn't really been that, that they're very short-term, they don't invest, tend to, uh, they tend to deal with problems as they emerge. And right. um, I mean, the, the sort of, as you said earlier, I think the smart thing about social impact is it understands there's a lot of different things that need to be solved. It's not just one, it's not just diversity issue, it's multiple issues and you've really got to take them all on and you've got to, you've got to think long-term about it because you're not just suddenly going to change the agency and make it sustainable and diverse overnight. It's a, it's a thing that's going to take time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, that's another thing, right? Like it does take time and it's okay for things to take time. Right. So like Havas globally has really amazing, but also, you know, aggressive goals around sustainability. Um, we want to be carbon neutral by 2025, for example, um, reevaluating our whole supply chain, trying to go to zero waste, but you're right. Like these things aren't going to be tomorrow, but you have to start today. Yeah, that's really cool. So how do you how do you see it working? Do you see it as like because the sort of different I, I guess I'm sure I'm not privy to all your like internal documentation, but um I would I would imagine there's sort of inside and outside. So there's like what you can do as an agency, which is a lot of different things, and then there's what you can do for your clients. And yep. uh, and you probably build different teams who work across this stuff and you need you need sort of different experts because you know it, some of it is complex right i mean when it comes to working out whether you're going to be carbon neutral or not that's not something you can do them on the back of an envelope right no exactly um so that's what's exciting about this role too so we kind of built out a SWAT team um and laura you know was really great in kind of creating an infrastructure for this um and its own uh, you know, own discipline. Um, so on my team, we have design, we have creative technology, you know, we have account for that's like the more external facing um, NPR, but we also have, you know, talent um, in HR because it is internal as well. So on that side, it's like, you know, I really want to focus on inspiring and energizing a community within Havas to be these culturally conscious thinkers and be purpose-driven um, and to be excited to, you know, tell people they work at Havas because of all the work that we're doing. And because we are trying to be zero waste and, you know, that we're trying to get rid of single use products. And we're also trying to inspire our own um, clients to do that as well. But not, it's not just around sustainability. It's like you said, it's around all different like paths around equity and all of that. So there's that aspect. And then it's partnering with current clients and prospective clients on hopefully creating some social impact focused initiatives um, that will, you know, help them 
attract their own talent and also attract consumers and help them raise awareness, but also make a change in the world. Um, and then we also, in addition to that, <laughs> want to create some uh, custom research-based uh, social impact workshops and events, which I'm really excited about. As I mentioned, I love events. Um, so I think that'll be a really good opportunity because we want you know, other agencies to get involved too. We, we're not trying to say like, oh, we have this you know, competitive advantage um, because of this role or because of you know, something that might be coming, like I mentioned in a few weeks. Um, it, we do believe that all ships rise. So we want this to be something where we're setting a course for the whole industry to get excited about. And um, the world really will be a better place if we all kind of focus on profit and purpose together. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I think so So much of the efforts have been um, somewhat selfish, you know, it, it across, I'm not just talking about advertising, I'm just talking across all different categories. And, uh, you know, you're not going to, these problems are so big, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi need to join hands to sort out plastic waste and uh, recycling. Um, it's just, you know, one company can't just do it alone. They're not going to make it significant different. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. The idea of like open sourcing or, I mean, um, you know, some of this stuff is, is complex, as I said earlier, is really complicated and, uh, I'm not sure people would even know where to start. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, you know, we're hoping we can help clients maybe if they don't know where to start, try to figure that out with them, you know, like work on it together, do some research, like where, you know, whether it's internal for a brand or external. Um, and you are right with leadership, right? It has to start at the top because if you like go back when, um, gosh, this was a couple of years ago, but when Unilever was trying to be bought um, and then Paul Pullman said no, and that was because their values were different. And at that time, Unilever was doing so much um, around sustainability. But, you know, if he had sold the company, I'm sure it would have been a lot of money for a lot of people, but instead he like stuck to his guns and had a bunch of people backing why that wasn't a good uh, plan for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I was, I was share. We was, I was working on something with another client, another agency, and um, one of the amazing statistics we found was that um, Unilever was like the third most searched company on LinkedIn. Oh wow! Yeah. So even in an age of Google, Facebook, and all the other tech guys and the Wall Street banks, Unilever's built a reputation as a place people want to work. Yep. And that would be the goal, right? Especially today. Um, I think there's like a huge fight for talent, not just in advertising, but across the board. Yeah. Uh, young people want to work for a company that is also doing good in the world and leaving uh, a positive impact, a positive footprint. So, you know, need to start making those changes because those, you know, Gen Z and younger, they're our future leaders. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so it's interesting. Do you, do you see yourself sort of setting objectives like it'd be really great if by year one we'd done this type of stuff and yeah i definitely have you know i have some like you know kpis for sure that yeah. laura and i both want to reach um so yeah <laughs> definitely want to i mean i'm right now i'm definitely just diving in and trying to get to know our clients and um you know, we have like Wells Fargo, uh, Rite Aid, Beam. We have, you know, a ton of really great clients. So it's kind of figuring out yeah, where their values are and maybe where they can get into. Um, so yeah. kind of wrapping my head around some of that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's just, it's interesting to me, Havas is just as a, it's an interesting, you know, 
agency, I mean, think of it, I think of it as like, you know, this is where the Dosekis work was done. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, does, it just has a strange, it's a strange profile. And I don't know whether that's because of its overseas, it's an overseas agency. Um, but I'm sure you spent time covering it and, you know, it must be interesting because it just doesn't, I don't know, I think, I think a lot of those, I don't know, maybe you know more about this than I do, but I, I think of like a lot of English agencies that have come to the US and, and New York haven't really managed to kind of like, you know, they, they've been here, they've done reasonably well, but they haven't sort of created a major impact uh, in the ways that many of them would have liked. And I even, I even point a BBH in a way. That's what I was going to say, a BBH. Yeah. So I want, it, it seems very hard for like, overseas agencies to succeed in New York. And vice versa. I think it's hard also for, you know, US shops to go over yeah. to. Um, Although there are some exceptions, I, I think I think Wyden's done. Well, yeah, that is true. They've done, I think it also goes down to local talent. I think sometimes, you know, people try to like bring like expats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hire the local bring, talent. Bring their own team over versus hiring. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. And, you know, as you know, the New York market better than anyone you really need people who know this marketplace to succeed. So, yeah. so, so important. Totally. But yeah, you know, I, with um, Dan, the new, uh, still new-ish chief creative officer, um, Dan Lucy for Havas New York, that's, you know, something, one of his goals definitely is to um, really elevate some of the creative work and, you know, have people not just think of like Bisecchi's or, you know, financial services, et cetera. But um, I think you're going to see some really, really great work hopefully some boundary pushing work and we're hoping to get some like brave clients and brave CMOs to do some really um, outside of the box work. And then of course, purpose-driven work, which I think you can almost look at any creative work today through that social impact lens. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean like there's a, you know, donate a million dollars component. There's like a lot to social impact that, you know, even if it's just teaching people how to take certain steps towards something. Um, so yeah, I think you're definitely going to see some really great elevated creative work coming out. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, certainly when the, the height of the Black Lives Matter movement was on, I had some very interesting conversations with some people. Um, and I think the I think the consensus was there's a lot of expectation that um, clients take a leadership role in terms of what their expectations are of agencies. I mean, sometimes there's a disconnect between what they say their purposes and then what they're asking their agencies and if they're believers in diversity and they don't have they they should be looking at that from their agency in terms of the team that they're working with and um i think with and i think in this interview with vincent i think that i think that's a big point he makes is uh this is a this is going to be demanded by clients you know um they i mean he says we've won pitches you know, based on our ESG strategy and and clients are demanding it. So it's almost going to not be um, a choice. I think it'll become sort of a mandatory requirement. You won't be able to succeed and, and secure projects or work from big clients uh, unless you show that you're committed as an agency to this. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's just great overall because if you are committed to you know everything meaningful whether it's you know de and i or um you know female leadership social responsibility uh, all of that 
then, you know, your staff's going to want to stay, your attention's going to be better, you're going to attract better talent. And then you also will attract, you know, clients and better clients and bigger clients and clients that are, uh, have the same values that you do. And that's what you ultimately want. Yeah, I think, I think, and I, I think as you, as you said, it, it's all about leadership. Um, you know, if uh, it's got to start from the top and the, and the, and the folks at the top have to be committed. And I think a lot of people think, well, if something's going to change, someone's going to lose. Um, and, you know, they tolerate, uh, behavior is tolerated um, because that person who's an asshole is a really good creative and uh, we don't want to lose that person. So they tolerate it at the expense of agency culture. So, yeah, yeah hopefully, hopefully that those days are gone. I'm hoping <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, I remember covering advertising like years ago where you had more of those types of personalities, but as of late, I feel like most, uh, most people have been pretty, pretty nice, nicer. Um, because I do think it does come down to, to the leaders like the Laura's of the world who are, you know, making sure they're hiring the right types of people. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Just this, this whole return to work thing, you know, I mean, people have been living in a very alternate reality for a couple of years, you know, working through zoom, um, not working in the office. And I, I don't know how, I mean, I've thought about a lot of like things about what an agent, you know, one agency should be, you know, should everyone be in the office all the time? Does that really make sense? And then if you are going to the office, what the hell should the office be like? You know, maybe it should be more like a place where people can really work together. Um, you know, because uh, I think that's the big, you know, when I talk to folks on this podcast, I think a lot of the creative folks I've talked to, that's the biggest thing they miss is you just can't collaborate as effectively without being, you know, in the same place. And um, yeah, I mean, people have hacks and they got workarounds and, you know, and I, I've had some people say that they really believe that the work has suffered. Like they're, they're just, yeah, there's been average work, but it hasn't been like super amazing work um, coming out there because maybe we have that, that secret source that comes from, you know, working together and being in close proximity and putting stuff up on the wall uh, just hasn't been happening. Yeah, absolutely. And also not as efficient. And, um, you know, we talked about this actually yesterday um, internally at like an all agency meeting that I also like, I really strongly believe in the whole mentorship aspect and learning from other people in the office. When I was like a young pup reporter, <laughs> I remember sitting in the office and sitting in this little like, you know, in like the news pen with all these other older journalists and editors. And I would listen to them on calls that were like, hard conversation calls. And this one news editor, uh, Rose at the time was like, I was kind of scared of her, but she, <laughs> but I learned so much from the way she would ask questions in a very direct way. And I'd be eavesdropping on her calls and be like, okay, so that's how I ask, you know, this, or, or you start to learn your own way of asking hard questions, but you, you know, you learn from just being around people. That's what I, I, I think. I think that's like, I think it's big for creatives too, to like walk around and see the work, um, around the office. Um, and just having those kind of, you know, those chances to be invited into meetings in person. And even the little things like after a meeting being like, oh, you know, great job with this, by the way, or something, you don't really have that on a Zoom. It's just not, you know, as easy of a flow of when you're getting up to leave a meeting and you're like, oh, by the way, I wanted to, you know, say great job on this. Or I, for example, I went into the office even yesterday and 
it was just really exciting to be able to walk to the kitchen and get a coffee with one of my colleagues. And we were just, just, you know, talking about random stuff about her son and, um, you know, like her dog and all of this. It was really nice to have that human interaction. Uh, we were wearing masks, of course, um, but it's still really exciting to have that. So I think you're going to see just a lot more energy and creativity unlocked when we all do come back together. Yeah. Do you think what do you think it's going to be interesting in terms of expectations like now I mean one thing agencies can get away with if they have make a commitment is that they don't actually have to do anything but now like hiring someone and actually making a commitment there is now an expectation and so it'd be interesting to see you know you'll have I'm sure you'll have employees coming forward and saying that this X, Y, and Z needs to happen. And that will be very interesting, especially with the younger, you know, the younger workforce and their particular engagement around issues. I mean, we've just seen what's happened in Netflix with the Dave Chappelle yeah. issue, you know. Or um the uh the coach, uh, what was his name? Reed. Um oh my gosh, the NFL. Yes, yes, the Raiders coach. Yeah. Um, and that was 11 years ago, but it's, you know, still super relevant and more relevant, you know, not more relevant, but I guess more in the know now that that's not an appropriate way to talk. And it wasn't appropriate back then. And it's, you know, now surfacing and he stepped down from that. So, um, yeah, I think the pressure will be good. I think it's good for agencies and companies in general to have like a little bit of that pressure from the younger generations coming up, especially if it's, you know, things around sustainability, um, and you know any type of social responsibility and good yeah i mean it's interesting it's like you know I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who have been in the business for a while are just like there's a little bit of jaded and cynicism comes in when you you know when you've been around a while like you know you've lost a bunch of pitches people haven't bought work it doesn't it doesn't um you don't get paid or whatever it is it's an industry that has its fair share of cynicism, especially the longer you're there. I'm sure you've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I've definitely noticed that from you know some of the veterans in the industry. Um, but but you yeah, know, but I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that uh, I think for that gener, it's almost like it's piling on. I think just for the if you think about it for the last five years, um. Every, you know, it, it's been a sort of constant firefighting, you know, from just the business angle, it hasn't been the greatest business to be in from, uh, you know, one thing off to the next, it's the Me Too movement, it's the Black Lives Matter, it's the sustainability, they, they, and they don't go away, you know, they, they, and they're not easily solved. So they just don't, they don't fit into agency management wheelhouses very neatly. You know, we like, I think they like kind of problems that we can get our hands around and we can kind of solve and move on. And these aren't problems that are like that. They're, they're complex, they're complicated, they're very hard to define. One person's definition of um, mistreatment is another def person's definition. Well, that's just normal behavior. So, um, you know, I think you've got, I think you definitely have got like a generational split you know, where you've got like people, young employees saying, this is just isn't acceptable. I don't give a damn where you came from or how it worked back in your day. 
it's just 2021 and then then <laughs> you've got this friction and tension and i and i think that's probably why we've just seen like kind of a lack of real yeah i mean definitely been agency stepping forward but there have been a huge number who haven't really done anything yeah i mean it's interesting you said there's you know the, that generation maybe wants to solve a solve a problem is like the brief is a little too complicated for an immediate solve right but um but that's okay and i think it does it still goes back to leadership like it all goes back to having that leader who can understand both you know both sides and both generations and can bring that together i think the pandemic really put so much into perspective for every generation um that you know like there's no promise of tomorrow uh, life is fragile and we need to just, you know, make the most of each day while we're here. And uh, if you can do creative work and do work you love and also make a difference in the world, you know, that's a one hell of a life you'll live. So it's kind of just all coming together and listening to each other's side. And it comes back to being empathetic um, on both sides of the coin. So if I, I'm going to ask you the very cliched question that I'm sure you're going to say, oh, you're not going to ask me this, are you? <laughs> uh, it's going to be like, um, you know, it's going to be like, oh, if we're sitting here in a year's time, what would you hope that you've accomplished? Oh, man. Um, I thought you were going to ask me something like, what would you tell your younger self? So, no. <laughs> uh, this is the next worst question. Oh, good. <laughs> um, let's see. A year from now, I am hoping that we can be sitting here talking about a few really great examples of work that current clients and uh, new clients we bring on do for the world. And like, I'm talking about work that makes, you know, tangible change um, that we can call back and be like, this helped this many people or this, you know, raised this much or this, you know, made this amount of change. Um, but that also inspired other companies to do that and also inspired other agencies to do that work. Um, so I hope we can sit here and talk about, you know, other companies, other agencies doing what we're trying to do um and maybe there'll be a little less cynicism a year from now too um so yeah and then once uh i can't announce but we're going to announce soon but um i think that's going to be a huge difference too which i know is such, such an annoying teaser but <laughs> that's okay but um but yeah i'm really just hoping to do some amazing purpose-driven work um, that's good for Havas, good for our business, good for our people, and good for our clients. That's cool. I mean, what more can you, what more can you say? I mean, that, that, would, <laughs> that would be great. Um, who do you think is going to, like, what do you think is going to be, obviously, um, it seems to, you know, if that, it seems like the creative and strategy teams are going to be key uh, in terms of making that sure that happens, right? Just really making sure that they are on board and that they yeah. believe i because I, I think um i think strategists are pretty they're pretty aware i mean they're just they're just sort of that's kind of their job i think it's the creatives who just want to be able to see that you can actually make something good you know um i mean there've been some i mean we've seen some really awesome um you know i really like the um ugly produce campaign from Carrefour in France, you know, where they actually changed the law, you know, yep. take food that was being wasted and put it on supermarket shelves, just really tremendously powerful work. And I mean, if you can do the stuff that actually makes that amount of impact, um, you know, who wouldn't want to be part of that? 
Oh, 100%, 100%. Um, and what's exciting about it too, you know, is yet, yes, like creatives and strategists are definitely, by the way, to answer your question before, going to be a huge part of this role, but it's exciting to have people messaging me on LinkedIn that, you know, are 22, 23, 24, who are at other agencies saying, oh my gosh, you know, I work on this account at agency X and I'm really excited about what you're doing. Are you hiring soon? Or, you know, I'm a creative, I'm a strategist. So it's really exciting to see these young people want to do that work. They really, really want to. Um, and, you know, and it can, it could be pro bono work. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be pro bono work. That's what I'm also trying to um, show too. Cause you know, we have done amazing pro bono work for sure. Um, but we can also do these types of work for clients um, and these clients have big budgets and you can, they could really make some big changes in the world and even change laws like you mentioned, uh, if they invest in purpose and in social impact. Do you, do you see envisage yourself having like counterparts all over the world? So you sort of have a global network. So you'll be a lot of sharing between yeah. the different, yeah, the different agencies. Yeah. Yeah. So Havas group itself is so large globally. And then, you know, we also um, have Vivendi um, as, you know, like the, uh, our hold our holding company. So Vivendi itself has really aggressive goals. So I've even talked to the other CSR folks at Vivendi already. Um, and, you know, uh, Vivendi has been part of the UN global compact since 2008. Wow. Uh, so you know, there's been a lot of work there. Um, and now I'm having a conversation with the UN global compact next week. Um, in the in new york just like you know talk to them about what we're doing uh so i think having that global network is going to be really amazing um to tap into and to share resources and you know it's like just help all of us rise yeah that's cool well brilliant that's really interesting i think we should you know it'd be definitely like it definitely like at a moment like i'm calling you at a moment where um it's full of positivity and opportunity but it's a bit of, it's a bit of a blank canvas right now yeah so yeah it would, and I'm, really, I'm it would be really good to catch up in like close to a year's time or eight months yeah. time and uh and see see how how it's going you know the good and the bad you know the rough and the smooth yes absolutely i always say i'm a, I'm a realistic optimist um so you know i know there's gonna be challenges along the way totally i love challenges i love competition i'm very competitive <laughs> it must be the sports side of me um but also like when i was a journalist too i love breaking stories before you know before anyone else um but i also just really believe in being like fueled by optimism and possibility um but not like, you know, not blind optimism, but the fact that there are so many amazing possibilities out there. Um, so really going to focus that energy towards uh, towards some good this year. And a year from now, I feel like we'll have a lot to talk about. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, um, really nice to chat. And um, I'll let you know uh, when this goes up uh, live. Thank you so Thanks. much for your time. Really nice Thanks. to talk to you. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.